What is life? Is it simply a dream? A nightmare we cannot awaken from? A false reality that we have all believed for years on end? A living hell? A simulation of sorts? Well, despite all of these theories, along with the thousands of others, we simply know life is waking up day to day, going to school or work, or even being homeless begging for food. The perception of life is different in everyone's point of view. However, in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the meaning of the undefined topic known as life in all its aspects and different points of view. On that note, my name is Christian Coggins, and welcome to Pathway to Hope, Episode 5, What is the Meaning of Life? Hello everyone, before we begin the first segment to experience, I just want to say I hope you're all having a great day. I wanted to try something new with the, um, you know, with the whole opening thing. I hope you guys like that. I found it a little interesting myself. But anyway, let's get started. The first segment for today is to experience. The first meaning of life, to experience. In life, we experience many ups and downs. However, that's the point. Without ups and downs, we don't get to have emotions like laughing or crying. And those are things that shape our life. You know, I mean, when we don't have... Like, think about that. I know that can be confusing. Like, if we don't... What if we experience nothing? What if we don't experience happiness? What if we don't experience sadness? What if all the time we just feel numb? And I, I am sorry, I don't care who you are. You're never just going to feel numb for your entire life, every single day, 24-7. It's just not possible. You're going to smile at times. You're going to cry at times. You're going to frown at times. But you know what? That's what life is about. That's a big thing in life. The ability to experience. Because when we have emotions, it helps form who we are. And not only that, but it also helps form memories. And it gives us experiences that we may never forget. But, you know, one of the biggest things to experience in life is pain. Pain helps us grow. It's something that so many people are scared of, right? Being hurt, whether it's mentally, physically, etc., whether it's over love or, or lost or, you know, whatever, family, being scared. There's so many different type, types of pain. I could sit here for a couple hours probably defining different types of pain, but pain is different for everyone. And one of the biggest things in life to experience is pain because pain is something that helps us grow. Whether it's for better, for worse, whether it's physical or mental, pain helps us grow from our mistakes or from life. It helps to form that character that I was talking about. And you're going to hear me say that a lot this episode, by the way. Character and personality, two very important things. But pain helps us to grow on who we are, to be a better person for ourselves. And you know, being hurt is never fun. However, the term, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, is extremely put into play here. Because if it doesn't kill you, it's going to make you stronger, you know, especially something like this, because it's going to hurt a lot. And sometimes it may feel like you're about to die, but if it doesn't kill you, which it shouldn't, it'll make you stronger. We're going to learn from our mistakes, learn from our past, and we're going to move on and be stronger than ever. That's a big thing in life, too, to experience that, to experience being able to move on. You know, everyone has some sort of I don't want to say trauma, but heartbreak of sorts or trauma or thing that they remember from their life that happened. Everyone does. I don't know anyone who doesn't. And, you know, as I said earlier in the opening, everyone's point of view on the aspect of life is different. 
However, when it comes to push or shove, sorry, when it comes to push or shove, I'm gonna try that one more time because I am mixing up slogans. It's I typically record really late at night, three thirty in the morning. I apologize, but however, when push comes to shove, there we go. Experiences make us who we are. You know, it forms our personalities. You know, I mean, like some examples from my life, and you know, these are some sad examples that hurt a lot. My mother's a drug addict. I was molested. I haven't mentioned that in any other episodes. I'll talk about that in one episode, probably not this one though. You know, I, my mother was a drug addict. I was molested. You know, people hated me my whole life. You know, people always wanted to hurt me, and I loved once and and wasn't in an actual relationship, but I wanted it to be. And now I may be insecure as of right now. But you know, it was all of those things in my life that helped form the person I am today. It made me a mental health activist so I can help people because I can guarantee you because of my experiences, I have helped at least a few people because I talk to people almost every day, uh, whether not even on the podcast. I mean, yes, I talk to you guys on the podcast, but I also talk to people in a discord server with over 1200 people in it. And I talk on TikTok even and a bunch of other places. I'll help people and I can help people because of those experiences. You know, if I never experienced that stuff, who knows? I probably wouldn't be a mental health activist. You know, I probably would have pursued something else. You know, I'm a nice person. I care about my grades. I want to be a lawyer so I can help my community. That's what my life shaped me to be. And that is how, you know, experiences make us who we are. And they form our personalities. For better or worse experiences, they make us who we are. You know, I mean, there are many other things that define the meaning of life. A great example of this is to feel. You know, I mean, I'm going to talk about a lot of that in the next segment. Actually, I think that's a good transition, actually. Let's talk about that. That brings us to our next topic, I guess, or segment, if you will, uh, that I want to speak about. So let's talk about to feel. Now, for the next topic, like I said, to feel. To experience and to feel may seemably play hand in hand. However, they kind of don't, you know, to experience things doesn't always mean you feel them. Think about it. For example, numbness. People can feel numb, which I mentioned in the last episode. Numb is hard to define, but if you want to define numb, it's like feeling nothing. You're not happy. You're not sad. You're not mad. You're not angry. You're not, you're not excited. You're just numb. You're just not there, you know, and... You can feel numb, you know, and yes, I mean, feeling hurt and stuff like that is a thing as well, but it's not the exact same thing as to experience it, because if you're experiencing it, it's something that may leave an impact on you, keyword may, not always, but to experience things doesn't always mean you feel them. You know, um, here's some examples of some things you can feel on an emotional scale, like love, hate, pain. And I know pain was a big topic in the last one, but you can feel those things on an emotional scale, keyword, emotional, you know, like to love someone, you put your heart out there. You literally feel like when you love, and I've never been in a relationship, but I have experienced wanting to love someone before. And when you love, is this warm feeling that in, in your head and in your heart that says, You know, this really feels like a one. This person can make me happy. This person can change my life around. 
when pain comes around, when rejection knocks on the door and you crash. You know, and I'm still getting over that, and it's literally been almost a year now, which is a little disappointing. But anyway, you know, hate, even hate, you can feel hate on an emotional scale. Have you ever just been so mad you'll turn red just from seeing somebody like, it happens to me. And I don't like to use the word hate, but some people do just, I don't want to say deserve, but some people do earn hate. People can, you know, be jerks or mean to people, and they kind of earn the hate for themselves. But you know, sometimes feeling also involves physical feelings, which can help us to learn from our past or even bring memories that may be pleasant or unpleasant. You know, like uh, examples can be, again, pain. (laughs) I said pain would be big in this episode. I meant that. Self-harm. Self-harm is a huge example of a feeling because you can feel that, you know. You're not just experiencing it. You're also feeling it. You can feel it physically or mentally. You can feel that wear and tear, which again, for better or worse, helps form who we are. But still, it is a feeling. You know, it's a part of life. It's part of the meaning of life is to feel. And so, not everyone feels that, and I hope no one ever has to feel that. But... You know, that's just an example. There are a lot of things you can feel. I could, again, I could spend hours talking about all the things you can feel. But, you know, it helps us to learn from our past to feel. And it, you know, involves memories and it involves experiences. Everything connects when it comes to it, right? You know, to have feelings, excuse me. Throat's getting a little hoarse here. Um, to have feelings for better or worse is okay, but we need to use these mental and physical feelings to expand and progress through life. I mean, you know, the whole point of life is to make mistakes and to reflect because I've never known anyone in life except for Jesus Christ to not make a mistake in life. You know, I mean... In my lifetime, I've never met anyone who's never made a mistake. No one's perfect. We weren't born perfect. In fact, the entire human life is flawed. You know, life itself is flawed. And we're going to make mistakes and we're going to reflect. That's the whole point of life, really. I mean, that's a big point of it, at least. To reflect and to live life. To live. Do you ever consider that? I mean, real quick, to live. To live, right? We were just talking about that. To live. When you're living, it doesn't always mean it's a good thing. And that's the meaning of life. To live your life. To live your self-being in your body. And to experience and to feel and to learn through that person. But anyway, let's move on. You know, as I was saying... Making these mistakes and reflecting can help us learn new things along the way, which happens to lead directly into the next subject. How ironic is that? Learning. Let's talk about that. The next meaning of life. Let's talk about learning. As we progress through life, we manage to learn new things almost every day, whether it's personally personally learning about yourself or other topics in life. You know, like, for example, you almost learn something new every day. Whether it's as basic as 
wow, there are more red Skittles than green Skittles in the bag, or new innovations and new technologies. You know, when we learn and we expand and we go through life, we, and this is a big, big, big meaning of life right here to learn, by the way, because it's a part of the journey. And by learning these new things, whether it's new technologies, new innovations, seeing, learning, embracing, if you will, the new things in life that we can learn almost every day. By doing that, every day becomes a new journey and experience. And you never know what's to come, you know, and you never know what may come in the future. You know, I mean, that's what makes every day worth living, right? Because it's not like we already know, okay, in 20 years, I'm for sure going to be a veterinarian or a police officer or a firefighter or a lawyer. No, it's not like that because you don't know where life's going to take you. I want to be a lawyer. I may end up being a therapist. I want to be a lawyer. I'm a, I could end up homeless. Knock on wood. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, <laughs> it'd be part of the experience, right? Something to experience. But anyway... By learning, every day becomes a new journey or an experience. You never know what to expect or what's to come. And by living your life, you get to learn every day what's to come. And, you know, we've been learning since the day we were born. The day we were born, we learned how to breathe. You know, and everyone learns new things. You know, like, there's so many different things everyone may have learned, like to walk and to draw and to well I can't say everyone's learned to write or read but majority is learned to write and to read and everybody's learned what it's like to feel and to experience and to be curious which happens to be our next topic but you know everyone has things they've learned whether it's basic math and you know everyone learns and for like I said from the day we were born we were born learning which is a huge meaning of life and one major thing everyone has learned, and I'm sure you've met this one person in life who's a little over-exaggerant on it, but in my opinion, you can't really be too over-exaggerant, but one major thing almost everyone has learned is to be curious or to wonder, which I believe can be a topic on its own. Curiosity. Let's talk about it. Curiosity. Ah, uh, yes. I wonder, and I'm a little curious... On where this episode will take us. Ha ha ha, I am funny. This is why I'm not a comedian. Anyway, actually I am on TikTok, but let's move on. Curiosity. This goes hand in hand with the last segment, learning. Because if we're curious, it engages us or it encourages us to learn more, right? When you're curious, the whole meaning of curious is literally to wonder, right? To want to know more about something. And if we end up learning more about something or trying to learn more about something, not only will we learn things along the way of trying to learn what that something is, but we will learn when we learn what the something is. And yeah, wow. Like I said in one of my last episodes, mental health is confusing. But anyway, to be curious, right? I mean, we wonder every day about new things, whether it's complex, such as how do I build a rocket or something simply I like to, I wonder what time dinner is going to be done. And you know, we can learn something new every single day and we become curious. And all questions of curiosity are a big part of life's meaning. You know, I mean, to ask questions even. Asking questions is extremely important. You know, because if we don't ask questions, let's say no one in the world asked questions. No one would end up being curious, right? Because no one would know anything at all. You know, and no one would be curious because... 
there'd be nothing to be curious about. That's the whole point of a question. Curiosity is to want to know more about something, but if you're not questioning it, then how can you want to know more about it, right? I mean, to experience really isn't affected by that much, but still, you know, that's the big part of life's meaning right there is questions. Because our life and today's society is formed in all societies lately in the past have always been formed around questions and how we're going to build and how we're going to grow as a human race, you know? That's an importance and a big part of life. Now that we've managed to touch on some of the core meanings, I know this has been a smaller, shorter episode, but now that we've managed to touch on some of the core meanings of life, let's connect some dots. So far, we have talked about experience to feel, learning, and curiosity. But how do they all connect? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. I actually wrote this down because I want to emphasize certain things right here on how they all connect. So listen closely. Well, as we experience new things in life, we tend to feel new emotions and we begin feeling curious about new things, which inspires us to learn more about different aspects within our world. Let me say that again. Just let that sink. All right, let me give you a second. Let that sink. Let me say it again. As we experience new things in life, we tend to feel new emotions and we begin feeling curious about new things, which inspires us to learn more about different aspects within our world. If you look back at the name of names of the segments, you will notice that the words I tried to emphasize experience, feel, curiosity, and learning, or what I tried to, you know, emphasize in that paragraph at least, they're title they're the titles of each segment. To experience, to feel, curiosity, and learning. All of these things connect together to create the meaning of life. To do these things literally is the meaning of life, or at least the majority of it. I mean, sure, there's a lot more in life, but in my opinion, these are the core things in life. These are the things that connect to the majority of our life, our living, right? These are the things that literally connect to the majority of aspects in life. To experience, to feel, to learn, and to be curious. Interesting, isn't it? Because maybe you came into this episode thinking, hmm, what is the meaning of life? You know, what? And you you were thinking I was going to say something along the lines of just to live. Maybe you weren't thinking about it that deeply. Maybe I tried to open your mind a little bit and tried to submerge you in a deeper thinking about the meaning of life. And I know that's really hard to do. And I know that can be really hard to keep up with. Because like I say in almost every episode, mental health is confusing. But you know, when push comes to shove, life is life. And the meaning of life is to experience, to feel, to learn, and to be curious every day. But on that note, that's the end of connecting the dots. Now, I have one final part of this episode, and I have planned out a, uh, I have a friend of mine, and I've planned a one-on-one with him. His name is Nate Muller, special guest Nate Muller, and he's a friend of mine. 
who is very smart individual, um, just like to myself, a lot of people tell me I'm smart, but in my opinion, he's a very smart individual. I trust this man, and he wanted to be on the show, and I told him I was talking about the meaning of life, and he says he's done a lot of research on this, and he wanted to talk about it. You know, so I said, yeah, let's do it. So for the next segment, which won't be at the same time, by the way, kind of like in the last episode, I, I don't, I still don't know, by the way, if I actually ended up doing it in the last episode or not, because I'm making this episode the same night. But, um, same deal. Um, I know for a fact I'm going to get him on this episode. I am hoping I can do it tomorrow. Um, so, you know, if I sound different or whatever, again, different environment, whatnot, it's because I was in, you know, I'm in a different environment and I'm going to be talking with him hopefully tomorrow. But I can assure you basically that Nate Miller will be in the next segment, which is the final part of this episode, uh, and how we'll, and we'll be talking about you know his research on the meaning of life and his opinions on the subject. So yeah, let's move on to the one-on-one with special guest Nate Muller. What's up, guys? As you know, my name is Christian Coggins, and I'm here today with special guest Nate Muller, who's going to talk with us about his ideas on the meaning of life. Uh, Nate, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. My name's Nate Muller. I'm a high school senior, and I like to contemplate in the meaning of life. Philosophy. Philosophy, of course, you know. Well, you know, I, I'm, just, just, I'm just, just a basic high school student, you know. <clears throat> I like to read. I like to write. I play the, the guitar sometimes. Philosophy, of course, is my mainstay. I'm a, the president of philosophy club. I debate sometimes and uh, play the guitar occasionally about it for me. I'm a close friend of Christian Coggins and, you know, for, I've known him for, well, almost a year, almost a year, I think. So, yeah, I think we have, we have close connections and we both have similar viewpoints of life. Thanks, Nate. So let's get started. Uh, my first question for you, Nate, for you, what is the general meaning of life? Well, this is going to be a cliche, but it's to be alive and you might be thinking well duh we're here anyway but it's a very symbolic meaning because oftentimes we're always chasing after something and we never take time to appreciate our existence I mean scientifically the chances of us existing are close to zero so we, we, we shouldn't be here but somehow we're on this spinning blue ball in the middle of nowhere in the cosmos and somehow we're here, and I think that's just a fascinating thing. So, to me, I think it's to be alive, because we, we, really, we really aren't supposed to be here. It's to experience highs, to experience lows, to experience just what life has to offer in general, in every aspect, whether it's in suffering or pain or joy and uplift. Okay, so let me ask you this. To you... What exactly does it mean to be alive? What is the meaning of being alive? Mm. Well, this is going to be a cliche, but it really is to just be here. I mean, you might be thinking because we're always trying to strive for something. We're always trying to be like, trying to hold attachments to our careers and say, well, that's the meaning of life. Or... We're trying to hold attachments to our families and not to say that we shouldn't but sometimes that's overwhelming what I'm trying to say is that 
the sim simply the meaning of life is not go after things all the time, though they can be <clears throat> beneficial to our life experience, but ultimately it's just to be here, to just be in this moment, you know? As I mentioned before, it's just scientifically we shouldn't be here, but somehow we're here. And I think we need to take more time, especially in the West, because, you know, in Eastern countries, they they take moments of time to just appreciate where they are in life and whom they are. But here in the West, we're always going after something. And we have to be like, the meaning of life is this. It's a status or it's money. or Not to say that they can't enhance a life experience, but I think we need to take moments of time to appreciate our existence. Just take a deep breath. You know, inhale, exhale, and just focus on everything around you. Whether it's a house or you're in a car right now or you're outside, which is pretty optimal. You just have to appreciate that you're here. And to me, it's people are often disappointed that it's not, oh, it's not money or it's not fame or <clears throat> fortune, which are all good qualities. But I think we always look too far ahead of ourselves we're looking for something that's right in front of us and to me that's my answers to be alive i like that that's that's a really good answer nate uh so my next question to you is as a young philosopher president of your club have you ever discussed the riveting question about the meaning of life of course that's of course that's the premise of life you know it's that's what philosophy is based off of that's what so many philosophers dedicate their entire lives to is to figure out well what's the meaning of life or rather how to live a good life to me that's a personally that's what I contemplate on daily I mean not this is not willingly sometimes but that just how my mind functions it's a strange strange existence sometimes but that's just how it is yeah, that's how it is for a lot of philosophers you know and that's what it is for us those moments sometimes when we're up till like 3 a.m. where we're just kind of thinking about the absurdity of our existence. Not in a bad way, but in a we shouldn't be here kind of way, but we are. You know, we kind of hack the system in a good way. Now, you know, I'm not trying to state that existence is bad, you know. Existence isn't bad, nor is it good, it just is. That's what the Buddhists say anyway. Things are just are. When we put labels onto things, then that's when we hold attachments and that's ultimately what keeps us suffering um, Nietzsche also a German philosopher 19th century philosopher he states that good and evil are just labels of of just power that people put state that this is good and this is bad because they want power ultimately which then it, which is a very good statement he, you know very wise man Nietzsche is but that's that's what I think. Personally, I always contemplate on the meaning of life. I'd feel like it's a crime if I didn't. It's a good... Perhaps I contemplate a bit too much for my own liking, and for that reason, sometimes I suffer a lot, but ultimately I wouldn't trade it for the world because to have that realization that life is just a beautiful thing, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Mm, I like that. That's a good answer, Nate. Um... Okay, so let me ask you this question. What do you want to be when you get older? I think if we were, if I were to put an answer to that, like, in five years I'll be this, that's quite foolish. There's interests I have, and those interests are 
can lead me to having a career, but to say that I'll be here in five years, well... Then let me rephrase the question, Nate. Um, what interest do you have in being as you progress in age through this meaning of life that we have? Um, a philosopher. <clears throat> and that could be abstract. That, that philosophy isn't just, oh, I'm a hermit in a cave all day and I just kind of sit and think. Though in ancient times, Socrates, he's an ancient Greek philosopher, he would just stand on street corners and debate with people all day. But that's just not optimal in today's society. So philosophy is just a broad topic, so philosophy can mean that I could be a writer and write about philosophy, or I can even be a psychologist, because psychology and philosophy are actually quite linked if you want to think about it. So maybe a writer, I would ideally like to be a writer. I've recently discovered writing that just, you know, there's something about writing to me. It's not even the finished product, it's just me expressing <clears throat> my thoughts onto, well, paper, but also the computer screen, just punching the keys into the to the screen and just seeing each word form a sentence of of just what I believe is just, you know, it ties into my beliefs of just what I think how beautiful life is. Like, that's just, to me, that's just an amazing thing. And you know, I actually, not to cut you off, but I actually like that idea of writing that you're progressing through, mm -hmm. and because that's actually a mental health coping strategy known as expressionism, English, sorry, expressionism, which is basically where you can write anything, you can draw anything, you know, you can do anything that has to do with being creative, because that's useful not only as a way to see life and to define life, but it's also a very good coping method for many people in life, you know, in this life we're in, and it's a very good coping method for people to express things, sometimes without even, know, without even knowing how. And you talking about how you want to do this in philosophy and because it ties to psychology and not only that, but, you know, when you're writing, you're writing and you're expressing yourself and you're expressing your beliefs, that's an amazing thing, and I like that a lot. Oh, yeah, philosophers do this all the time. Philosophers are, I mean, they their minds are just wired much differently than the average person, so... They, the reason why they're often depressed is because, well, they think a lot. They don't think about, oh, what am I going to eat or what, what is so-and-so doing right now? They're thinking, well, what's the point of me thinking about that? What's the point in me being here? I mean, Nietzsche, as I talked about earlier, I've been studying him a lot lately. He's a fascinating man. He had a lot of suffering in his life. and You know, he had chronic migraines, chronic illness throughout his life migraines, digestive issues, and that just made him angry all the time, you know? Not in a bad way, but that, that just kind of... Hmm, that just intensified his suffering, and that just promoted him to find peace in their work, in his work. A lot of philosophers do that. They have tough life situations, and the way they cope is through their work. They don't have relationships. They're usually the hermits in the caves. They're not necessarily bad people. They're Sadly, they're shunned by society because they go against what, what's traditional in society. But, you know, Nietzsche's one of them. He had chronic migraines, as I said before. He had rejected marriage proposals. He had conflict with a sister who was a Nazi. And uh, just familial issues in general. In fact, the last 10 years of his life... In fact, the last 10 years of his life, he just went to a vegetative state of mind, honestly. He, he really did. He just broke down one day, had a mental breakdown, and he saw a horse <clears throat> getting beat in the middle of the street, and he just ran and cried and hugged the horse, and then he just didn't write anymore and just went insane. 
that's just one philosopher. All philosophers usually suffer. Usually they have traumatic life lifestyles, like, you know, they weren't paid attention to a lot in childhood, or simply their minds are just wired differently. I like that answer. That's actually really good. And that actually brings us to our next question, ironically, because you already started breaking into it, and I didn't expect that kind of answer about a lot of philosophers having a lot of mental health issues. But the, the next question I want to ask you actually has a lot to do with that. And before I ask, I just want to say sorry about the outside noises. You may hear some certain things like cars or people. We are in a public park in a gazebo. Um, pretty nice environment to record in, I thought, and then a bunch of people pulled up. But it still works out. Anyway, um, as I was saying... You know, I like that idea you have about all philosophers having a type of, uh, so a lot have depression, and you know, because they're, they build themselves around the idea of questioning, and you know, when you think about that, a lot of people who struggle with mental health and depression and stuff along those lines, it's all because they question. Think about it. I mean, they question themselves, they question their mental health, they question their status in life, you know, they question their meaning. A big point of Pathway to Hope is to help, hopefully, answer some of those questions. But, you know, the next question I want to ask you, which you already started digging into, but I want you to dig a little deeper, if you don't mind. What philosophies do you believe in revolving around human mental aspects? Or mental health aspects? On a personal level, I'm into a lot of Eastern philosophies. So, Chinese philosophies and Japanese things, such as Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism. They all... They all question life in a good way they all they break down what life is and how we can better ourselves from it because western philosophies well we don't really have a lot of established western philosophies i mean we do there's rationalism by descartes i think therefore i am that sounds familiar that's him but oftentimes that leads to a misalignment of ourselves we're often thinking too far ahead you know in the west especially in the united states and canada and you know, just when I mean the West, I mean United States and Canada. Our philosophy is: you, 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 you're, you're born, you have a childhood, you graduate, go to, go to college, you go, you may have a family, you have kids, you get married, and then you die. And to some people, that's a that's a good thing, and I'm not going to shun them for that lifestyle. More power than them, if anything. But as I mentioned before, philosophers they can't do that. Like. The thought of doing that drives them insane. I mean, that's why they put so much effort in their work and that often leads to their deaths. So the ideology of a normal, everyday American or any lifestyle, right? Grow up, have kids, or, you know, grow up, go to school, have kids, have a family, go to college. You know, I know that's out of order, but mm -hmm. points out there. And so you're saying that many philosophers can't do that because it just doesn't go in sync with their mindset. Yeah, yeah, some philosophers can't do that, but other philosophers attempt to do that. And this happens with many philosophers, I should add. They want a stable lifestyle, but their minds are so wired differently that they can't find acceptance with many people. So they, which, is, uh, which leads to a lot of people with anger issues and depression and social anxiety. So philosophers are just a rare, are actually more... What's the right word here? Common than you think they are. Like, they, there's more philosophers out there than you think, but there's only a select few people who can use their negativity, like you are on this podcast, in a creative outlet. That, so that's what they do. They put their entire life's work into it, too, because they don't, they don't have usually stable relationships, stable friendships, because they don't fit in. 
I like that, Nate. But um, I I want to quickly just run back a little bit here because I maybe I missed it. I apologize, but I don't think I exactly got the answer from this question. So the question I ask is, what philosophy? What philosophies do you, in specific, you believe in revolving around human mental aspects? Like just in general, not just philosophers, mm-hmm. not just certain people with a certain job. Mm-hmm. People in general, kids, teens, adults, seniors. What? philosophies do you believe in revolving around those human mental aspects of everyone to me uh as i mentioned before i apologize for uh, getting off track that's all right um that's a good thing usually eastern philosophies so i mean eastern i mean chinese philosophies indian philosophies those are very abstract i know a lot of people think oh it's just uh some wickedly famished man who's just eating nothing but bird seeds all day and meditating which is, well, there's certain sects of philosophies that do that, but that's not what most philosophers are. But to me, I believe a lot in Buddhism. I found that a couple of years ago. I'll never forget the experience. I remember sitting in a, my history teacher's classroom, and he put on a video about Buddhism. And I remember as the video progressed, I remember this small little ball of just light, good light, just pure light. And as I started watching this, it expanded. And I, at the end of the video, I just felt that whole light throughout my body. Some, might, some people might say it's God, but personally, I don't believe in that. Nothing against it, of course, but that's just not of my aspects. To me, that's a very spiritual experience, and I won't forget that. To me, I, I remember sitting there a couple of years ago as a freshman thinking I found my buried treasure. This is it. I found my buried treasure. So, to me, Buddhism brings a lot. To me, Buddhism is a philosophy that ultimately, to, for me, provides a lot of answers to the meaning of life. Okay, so, that I like that, again. Mm-hmm. But I'm not exactly getting the answer to the question. You mind if I reword the question, maybe? Sure, sure. Okay, so basically what I'm asking you is, what do you personally believe... Like, you know, earlier we were talking about how have you ever questioned, you know, the ideas of uh, life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a big part of life, as we've been talking about, is mental health. So I guess what I'm basically trying to ask, and maybe it's my fault because I might have worded this wrong. But uh, what do you believe, like, I don't want to say the cause, but what exactly, have you ever questioned mental health in general? And, like, what are your opinions and thoughts on that? Of course, uh, yeah, a question, as I had said before, I question things every day. It's just how my mind is wired. And to help me cope with that, sometimes I I believe in, like, Eastern, as I said before, Eastern philosophy, so Buddhism. You know, I mentioned before the story of how I found Buddhism, and to me that just provides a lot of answers. Also, Taoism, yin-yang, you've definitely seen that symbol. If, if you look up yin-yang, <clears throat> you'll know what, a, what I'm talking about. But that's Taoism. That's a very beautiful philosophy. I'm reading about that a lot. And uh, certain aspects of Hinduism as well. You know, there's certain things like the wheel of wheel of life. Where you might have seen this image in history class. It's this, uh, it's this big monster holding this circle. And it's just, and it, it's just people. You know, so I think, uh, I think uh, another belief is reincarnation that helps me helps me cope with my mental problems and mental problems of others or why suffering exists. So re- reincarnations is kind of like, obviously it's the belief that 
we're here again, that we're reliving life again, not as the same entity, which that's, that's another philosophy. If you want me to get into that, it's a scary one too. But it's, it's just the belief that we're living life again. And until we reach enlightenment, we're bound to live life. Sometimes it's different entities like demons and some people believe, I believe personally in the supernatural to a degree. I think those are just things we should not mess with, but sadly a lot of people do. But anyway, to me, even if that, even if reincarnation wasn't a fact, maybe if I met God in death, or maybe it's nothing in death, I wouldn't change my viewpoint because it helps me to create, I guess, an understanding of where I am. Sometimes when I'm at my emotional lows or, and to contemplate on, on suffering, because suffering brings me down specifically. You know, I'm sensitive to a lot of suffering. And when I say sensitive, I don't mean like I'm a sissy or anything or pansy. I'm sorry to use those words, but that's what people usually affiliate with sensitive. But to me, I'm just sensitive to a lot of suffering and it helps me cope with that a lot. So I would say Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, those philosophies help. Alrighty, that's a good answer. I like that. Um, so you were talking a lot about emotional lows. So would you mind getting specific in some of those emotional lows that you may have experienced? Sure. Um, started around, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll give a, try to make this brief, but I don't know. Take your time. So uh, around February, I started going through emotional lows, an emotional low. And uh, for a lot of people, people in general, they everyone has emotional lows, but philosophers, it hurts a lot for them. I'm not trying to say that philosophers are on a pedestal or anything, but this, again, just their wiring of the minds, they're always thinking about the meaning of life, and when they break down, it's just intense amounts of suffering. Maybe not, maybe, uh, I don't know, personally, I've been through uh, some interesting, uh, depressing times in my life, so anyway, sorry to, you know, ramble, but in February, I started coming to school, I was feeling very depressed a lot, I would just, and that came out a lot in anger. I would harbor resentment. Sometimes I wouldn't talk to people, you know? Especially sometimes when I first entered school, I wouldn't talk to some people. I just wouldn't talk to anyone because I was just really angry. And I was cursing the world. I said, curse my existence and curse me being here. Why am I here? I, I don't like it, you know? It's, this is making me suffer. This is the reason for my suffering. And uh, if you want, I can get into how wrong I was about that, but then lockdown hit, and suddenly that anger turned to loneliness. You're referring to COVID-19 lockdown? Yes, yes, COVID-19. That was around uh, March 13th. I won't forget it because I was going to play a concert that day, and that got canceled. I think that might have started. Guitarist, right? Yes, yes, guitarist. As I mentioned before, I like to play the guitar occasionally. Anyway, those feelings of anger, of just resentment to the world started becoming loneliness, like pity almost. Not not a good sense, a bad sense of pity. That, oh, everyone should pay attention to me because I feel so sad, you know? Like, the world's against me and I feel sad about it. So, so I would go online constantly, eight to nine hours per day online, was on a screen. It wasn't like schoolwork either. You, I, that includes schoolwork, but that was like two hours. So I'm spending six to seven hours per day behind a screen, hooked behind false pretenses that I need to talk on these chat rooms. I'm not against these chat rooms, I, I all means. I understand that you have a Discord server, but my relationship with 
those chat rooms have changed because of that experience. But I was using those chat rooms in a wrong manner. I was trying to use them as a coping mechanism when they made things a lot worse. And that intensified for <clears throat> probably until May and then I decided I really need to get help. So I went and I went on, I took the courage and I went offline for a couple days and that changed my relationship with the world. It helped it made me realize that well we realize I should say. Remember it reminded it was a sharp slap in the face almost that that life, life, life is not just behind a screen. You do not need people to validate you. And now I'm not saying that company's bad or anything by all means, but to me, I was using company in the wrong aspect. I would only use company so I'd feel better about myself. And what I really needed was just to be with myself alone, free from all input, solitude, which isn't bad, but it can be bad if you allow it to. And I went. I struggled throughout the summer. You know, throughout the summer, I was a. I, I started getting better around last month, which is July, as of, as of this recording. This, I started becoming very uplifted, and I started to take control of my life again. And that's when I really went into solitude, and I found that solitude was a beautiful thing. That, at childhood, I didn't really care about these societal norms. I was. I never really had close friends in childhood. I was just kind of. I never went to a friend's house or never had a friend come over or talk to them after school. It was just eh, other people I talk to and then I just go home and I just do my own thing. I thought that was normal. And for a long time I was happy with that. I was genuinely happy. Because I did. But then, uh, of course, I got introduced to the internet. And, well, I was introduced to the internet at like age seven, but I didn't really get into the internet until I was like 13. I would argue that's when I started declining because then I found societal norms. But anyway, my whole point is that I rediscovered solitude and discovered that was a beautiful thing. Sorry if I went off a, off track there, Christian. No, you're good. That's that's actually what we, I was looking for in that one. I wanted you to talk about your lows. And even, you know, I like how you talk about how you found a way to cope with it and how to build back up despite the fact that it took a while. I do want to mention, I remember you were talking about the Discord server thing and you were talking about online chat rooms. A lot of online chat rooms aren't exactly made for coping mechanism. They're made for simply communicating with people. And I know he mentioned my server, which I don't really talk about much on the podcast, but I do run a community server as well. It's based on mental health, actually. There's 1,200 members in it, and the whole point of that server is we have support systems set up for each other. It's like a family community, a safe zone, and you know, basically we have support rooms where people can always ping support and people who have gone through stuff themselves or some people who we even train to be counselors will help you long term that's and you know let me ask have you ever actually looked for something like that yeah i would but i i reworded i think i'll have to reword my phrase i believe i said something wrong here i used i went i didn't go on like hmm, let me give me a second just rephrase this not a problem i was using company to feel better about myself but it wasn't genuine company no what do you mean by company just friendships, I suppose. Online or in general? And in general, just to feel that, because I felt empty without, you know, friendship. I guess company. I like to use the word company because you know, to me, there's to me, there's a 
friends aren't just people I'm talking to right now. Like, of course, you're a friend and I'm talking to you. Correct. There's <clears throat> also, I've also learned recently that friends are, don't have to generally be in, in person. They could be deceased friends. Now, I'm not trying to sound like a schizophrenic. I don't talk to these people or, you know, I don't see hallucinations or do anything weird like that. When I mean friend, it's just Nietzsche described this. And he said that friendship was just the, re the, the reaction of two bonds, of two chemicals coming together. And that, so that's what I define as friendship. And then when, I, when, when you define friendship like that, well, your uh, definition of who can be your friend just expands. Like a lot of my friends, I'll put friends in quotations, are just are singers. Again, I don't talk to these people. I don't hear their voices in my head. That's, I want to establish that because people often think, like, all right. Like when I say, like, Kurt Cobain is my friend, for example. He's a, one of my favorite songwriters. He'll go, and people will go, like, okay. And then they'll just kind of, like, kind of, like, back away from me a little bit. Like, all right, he's a bit nuts. But I say that in terms of me feeling a strong connection to him. A lot of philosophers I would consider friends as well. Even if I don't necessarily agree with their beliefs, it's just that I'm like this, and he's like this, and I agree with that. Alright, I like that answer, Nate. That, Yeah, that makes sense. That's clarifying, if you will, and I do like that. I appreciate that. But let's talk about the rhetorical, or the contrary now. We talked about your emotional lows and how you've gotten past them. And, you know, and we talked about how you built yourself back up. And that's awesome. But once you build yourself back up... How, did you ever start to experience more emotional highs in your life that may have made you question the low points in your life? Or even just in general, high points that made your life a lot better than you felt it was, even after coping? Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Ple everyone takes pleasure in pleasure, I guess. Lack of a better term, I suppose. But I think these emotional highs I get are just like creative highs almost. You know, like, I think, to me, they're almost cyclic. And they're cyclic with everyone, too, you know? Because, especially here in the West, we think happiness, the pursuit of happiness, as you said before, well, that's a dream. And it is a dream, because we can't always be happy. In fact, life, there's a noble truth that Buddha talks about. It's the first, it's also often misinterpreted. Buddha says, people believe Buddha says that life is suffering, and that's very false. Life has suffering, that's a fact, but not life is suffering, because life is a, can be a great thing. You know, Buddha even talked about how, as humans, we have, we're the only creatures who have opportunity to obtain enlightenment. No other creatures can do so, and that's a beautiful thing. Anyway, I'll, I'll get back on track, but these emotional highs often help me. That An emotional high has allowed me to... Hmm, come to the realization that life itself is a beautiful thing maybe it maybe it's because my mind is just wired a bit differently i'm not always looking for the next big thing but instead i'm just appreciating that i'm here so yeah emotional highs of course help me but i wouldn't i would need those really deep emotional lows that's the sacrifice and i experience great emotional highs you know for me to come to that realization that life the meaning of life is to just be alive and not just the pursuit of a career or goal. Well, I had to go through a lot of suffering to get through that. And that's, that's what's not talked about. That's what a lot of philosophers go through. They have these great big ideas, and they're beautiful ideas, but 
and you go through a lot of suffering in life. All right, that's actually a really good answer. And you know, I like how you talked a lot in general throughout this episode, but especially now you talked a lot about experiencing things and learning. And you know, because we can learn a lot of things. We t- like you were talking about how earlier when I asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, or you know, what where you I don't want to say where you saw yourself, but where you your interest. I asked you about your interest, and we talked about experience you know we talked about learning new things we like because as in philosophy which you like to do right Mm -hmm. you're a philosopher in the making and you like learning you every day you question the idea of curiosity to be curious about something philosophy as you told me earlier i believe is all about the art of questioning and the art of questioning comes with curiosity which i did mention in a previous segment in this episode i talked about how you know without questions there isn't curiosity without curiosity there isn't question and then again connecting it back you know the idea of learning because you're going to learn your questioning because as a philosopher excuse me as a philosopher philosopher sorry as a philosopher you know your main goal in life every day is to learn something new to get the goal or to find the objective or to find the goal you know of your answer your goal as a philosopher is to be curious. That's your job. Your job is to be curious. English is slipping me today. I apologize. Your job as a philosopher is to be curious. And then it's your mission to learn. And then you need to experience to find out your answer. You need to experience whether it's... And that's what I like about philosophy too. You know, sometimes you might not be able, as you were saying earlier, Nate, sometimes you might not be able to just sit back on a desk and research, you know? And that's the nice thing about philosophy. Sometimes it might require you to get out in the world, to see new things and to learn, meet new people and to learn new ways of life, you know? And, you know, you talked a lot about, you know, religion like Buddhism and reincarnation and a lot of that stuff. And that's something that I never really think about that much. You know, I never really thought of the viewpoints as much of foreign country religions and even in this country a little bit, but, you know, I've never really thought much about the viewpoints of those religionists from Germany or China, you know, and you really brought that aspect here. I've learned something in this episode, you know, because I never really think about Buddhism or reincarnation. I mean, me personally, I'm a believer in God. I don't really believe in any other religion, you know, not that I'm dissing it, but I don't believe personally in any other religion. But I mean, the ideologies of those people is interesting to me. You know, the ideas of life, being uh, or a part of life being suffering and you know just the idea that life isn't a perfect picture that everybody wants it to be you know and that's something that you've definitely brought to my attention I do like that a lot if I may conclude I have a philosophy that actually ties into what you were just saying sure uh, I've been research researching about it lately it's called Amor Fati it's an ancient uh Stoic idea, if you know, if you even know what Stoic I think I've heard of the idea, Amor Fati. I think I've heard of that. Mm. Yeah, it's in Stoicism, and Stoicism's regained popularity recently. Um, it talks about love. Amor Fati is Latin for love of fate, or love of one's fate. It's accepting that love, that, that suffering and loss are just as necessary as joy and uplift. It's essential to a being. It's essential to our human... It's it's the essence of being human, you know? As I, you know, as I said before, life has suffering. That's a fact. And uh, we need to understand instead of resisting it, instead of going against the water, 
we just flow with the water, and we just are, you know? We wash away with the stream, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's, it's, Amor Fati is just something I think a lot of us need to understand, because, especially, I'm going to tie this in again to the pursuit of happiness, and, uh, how that's just an absurd thing. Hap pursuing happiness, of course, isn't absurd, it's just that the belief you'll get it all the time. Most times you won't. And that's just the truth. And that most people don't want to admit that, but that's just the truth. But when we do have moments of happiness, it's great. And uh, Amor Fati allows us to comprehend that suffering. We should treat suffering just as well as joy. In fact, we should even enjoy suffering more than joy, which is an odd concept. But it's something we should do, because when we're suffering, we can manipulate it to our benefit, and that's how we learn about ourselves, you know? It's through suffering. I like that a lot, Nate, and I was thinking about Amor Fati, actually, pretty recently, I think. And, you know, just like in, earlier in the episode, we were basically talking about that when we were talking about feeling. You know, you're going to feel low in life. It's a part of life. It's part of the meaning of life, because you're going to feel low. You're going to feel high. You're going to feel Amor Fati, but you know what? When push comes to shove, it's going to form your personality. It's going to force, uh, it's going to, you know, form your character. It's going to form your entire life. And, yeah, the hard points may seem hard, and, you know, and they're going to be. And the high points may seem great. And maybe there's not as many high points. You know, maybe it feels like the low points outweigh the high. And it might. But you know what? Who cares? Because when you think about that, everything you experience, for better or worse, is going to, going to form the person you are. As I think I've talked about in this episode, maybe it wasn't this episode, but I don't recall. I think I did, actually. You know, if I didn't go through all the crap I've gone through... This episode wouldn't exist right now. I wouldn't be a mental health activist. I wouldn't be a high school senior who's got colleges emailing him every day. You know, I wouldn't care about my grades. I wouldn't want to be a lawyer. I'd probably just be some lowlife who, you know, and I'm not defining a lowlife, but, you know, in general, somebody who just doesn't care. And by, when I say don't care, I know I've used that a lot. But when I say don't care, I mean don't care, like, to try. You know, I wouldn't want to try to get somewhere in life, you know. And it's my experiences... For better or worse, almost life-ending, almost not, you know, for better or worse, it's those experiences that made me the man I am today and proud to be that person. And, uh, you know, I mean, like I said, I think I used this quote earlier, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is very, very applicable to this concept because, you know, what doesn't kill you does make you stronger, right? I mean, like I said, almost life-threatening things have happened to me, some because of self-harm and stuff and some because of accidents that have occurred but you know what those things are in my mind they're in the back of my mind and i'm using those things to grow and to move on in life and that's the goal from high end to low end from push comes to shove what doesn't kill you makes you stronger but on that note um that's all the questions i have for you nate do you have any questions you want to ask me maybe or want me to answer i'm okay Alrighty, well, Nate, I want to thank you so much for coming uh, as the first ever special guest to Pathway to Hope. And um, I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your opinions and sharing your research with us. I really do appreciate it, and I, I enjoyed this episode. I hope you did as well. So thank you, Nate. Good to see you, Krishna. I hope to be back someday. Definitely. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show soon. So I'll talk to you later. See you guys later. And Nate, thanks for coming, man. Thank you. All right. Uh, up next uh, for the next segment, uh, we are going to talk about the conclusion and then we're just going to wrap this episode up. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening and let's get to the conclusion.
What's up guys, I'm here right now for the conclusion, but before I conclude, I just want to say something real quick about the last, uh, the last segment, which was the one-on-one with special guest Nate Muller. Um, I am so happy he was able to do that with me, I appreciate him doing that so much, and I hope you guys may have learned something from him, like I said, uh, before the start of this, you know, he is extremely smart, and I trust that man, and I appreciate him coming on the show, but what I want to apologize about, I want to apologize for the background noise, next time we're not going to do it at the park. I guess there was some kind of kids karate class going on. And I didn't think the speaker would pick it up as well as it did. So um, I apologize for that. And the background noises next time we'll do it in a little more secluded area. But um, however, I hope you guys were able to enjoy that interview. Um, I certainly did. Like I said, I enjoyed it. And he enjoyed it as well. He enjoyed coming on the show and he hopes to come back. And I told him he's definitely going to be able to eventually. But on that note, let's conclude. So, what is the meaning of life? Life has so many meanings. However, I honestly believe we discussed the core meanings tonight in this episode, you know, because they relate to everything that makes life meaningful, you know, from, uh, you know, from feeling, you know, because if you didn't feel, what would be the point of life, right? I mean, to feel. If you don't feel hate or feel emotions or feel love or feel passion or feel curious even or feel, you know, like you're experiencing something or even just a feel to want to learn, you know, I mean, like I said, everything connects and, you know, when you're able to connect the dots and you're able to experience things and you're able to learn and you're able to be curious and you're able to feel, it makes life meaningful. And it's kind of hard to explain how because that's different for everybody. Excuse me, whether whether you're somebody who has the best life ever or the worst life ever, it is really hard to just define how it makes life meaningful because it's different for everyone. Everyone goes through different things in their life, so everyone's going to experience different things. But, you know, overall, it's what makes it it's what makes life beautiful and it's what makes it meaningful and worth living. For better or worse feelings, you know, no matter how sad you are, how much you feel like you don't belong here, you do. And no matter how happy you are, same deal. Everyone deserves to live and experience these things that make life meaningful. So on that note, I'm going to conclude by thanking you all for watching. I appreciate it so much, or listening rather. I thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to me, to listen to my friend Nate. And I hope this episode can help people. And on that note, I'm going to leave you with this. Remember, stay strong, stay positive, and never stop fighting.